This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, friends. It's me, the the true crime gal that you listen to sometimes. <laughs> um, okay. I'm just riding cloud nine, you guys, because I'm still excited about the YouTube channel. I'm still excited about all these things that are going on in my life. I'm trying to make the best out of a poopy situation. Correct. Okay, so um, this case I thought was super interesting. I really don't have a whole lot to say about um, my life or anything. I guess I rambled for five minutes three days ago, so I got it out of my system, I suppose. So we're going to jump right on into the case, um, because why not? Without further ado, this is the unicorn killer, which I would hope you would think that it would be a much cooler, uh, thing based off the name, and no, it's not. Um, okay, so we're talking about his name, sorry, the hiccups, his name is Ira Einhorn, um, I kept calling him Ira in my head, and I sounded like J-Rock from Trailer Park Boys. I really don't think his name was Ira, but it'd be cooler if it was. Um, Ira Einhorn. And you think that'd be pretty cool, like, you think he'd be foreign, and no, he was born in Philly, and, uh, but you get where they, they call him the unicorn killer, right? Einhorn, one horn, unicorn killer, yeah, see, not, not very difficult to try to put all that together, but, so, okay, he was born in Philly on May 15th, 1940, and all I can think is, thank God he's not a Gemini, am I right? Like, Taurus, take your man, beach. There's so many serial killers who are Geminis, we don't need another one, so just you, soul your roll. Okay, sorry, I had to re- sometimes these things sound weird, but, like, I just- push play and go whenever I feel like like I like I've always said my shtick on this podcast is it is completely unedited I write up a thing for research and then I just come in here and ramble for 30 minutes roughly and you know what it's relaxing it's fun for me and people seem to kind of maybe enjoy it so you know what there's no editing there's no nothing it's just you get me the way I am (laughs) for better or for worse okay so I just, I repositioned and took a swig of my drinkity drink. Let's go. So Ira was born to a middle-class Jewish family. He attended the University of Pennsylvania and took, um, he, whoa, that's a weird word I used. He took up a huge play in environmental activism. So he was massive. That was his passion. His calling was environmental activism. Cool. Um, so he was most notably a part of the anti-establishment and anti-war movements of the 60s and 70s. And so for fun fact, the first Earth Day took place on April 22nd, 1970, which I was planning on recording this for Earth Day, and I'm only six days late. So I tried my best, friends. So the first, <clears throat> sorry, the first Earth Day took place on April 22nd, 1970. And it took place in over 2,000 colleges and tens and thousands of primary and secondary schools and hundreds of communities across the United States. So um, there was a quote about um, that first time that said it brought 20 million Americans out into the spring sunshine for peaceful demonstrations in favor of environmental reform. So two notable locations where Earth Day took place that year. April 22nd, 1970, was um, New York City and Philadelphia, ironically. 
Um, so U.S. Senator Edmund Muskie was his keynote speaker, and um, as was presidential candidate Ralph Nader and several other notable notable people. Yeah. Um, so basically, this has a point, I promise. So Earth Day uh, came to be because of the 1969 Santa Barbara oil spill that killed over 10,000 seabirds, dolphins, seals, and sea lions. And this is just an interesting fact as to why I'm trying to wrap all this in together. It is kind of cool that Earth Day was a thing, and that's why I was going to do this on Earth Day, because, as I said, it's going to wrap together. Ira Einhorn said that he attended the first Earth Day, which I can believe. Like, that's fine. I can get behind that. But then he also said that he was a fundamental proponent to creating and launching the event, like the first Earth Day. He said he planned it. Um, and other people who actually planned it, who are credible sources that really, really planned it, say that he absolutely did not have any part in planning it. So Ira Einhorn, on top of murdering people, um, also said he planned the first Earth Day, which is a lie. Um, so all of this in the aftermath of everything that happened, he got the nickname Hippie Guru um, because and I mean, from what I remembered, he, and I think I'm probably going to talk about this, but I'm sorry I researched this like two weeks ago. Um, I think he lied about a lot of things. Well, obviously he did, but I mean, I think there was more than just the Earth Day spiel. Like he, he also lied about being a fundamental part of other environmental rights and all the activism type deal. Like he was a known liar and a known credit taker for things that he never actually had a part of. So that's pretty shitty. So he's an interesting human. We, well, we knew that was going to happen. So, okay. Um, I said somehow in 1972, Ira got a girlfriend. Um, her name is Holly Maddox. She was from Tyler, Texas and had graduated from Bryn Mawr College, um, which was a liberal arts girls college in Pennsylvania. So that's how they met. Like she was in PA and he was also in PA. Um, they dated for five years and in 1977, Holly broke up with Ira and moved to New York City and began a relationship with a man named Saul Lapidus. On September 9th, Holly came back to the apartment and um, so she she broke up, packed up and moved to New York City and then she, I'm, I'm presuming, left most of her belongings behind in the apartment that she and Ira shared. So on September 9th, she went back to the apartment um, to get the last of whatever she had left there, but uh, Holly was never seen again after that moment. Well, not that moment, you know what I mean, that day. She was last seen that day. So a few weeks later, once it was reported, police questioned Ira about her disappearance, and Ira said that she had gone to a local co-op to get vegetables, but never came back. Which seems weird, right? Like, your girlfriend, and I mean, I'm assuming the, the cops didn't know this, but the girlfriend broke up with him moves out and then comes back to get the last of her things and goes to a co-op to get vegetables but then is mysteriously never seen again right in my personal opinion it's pretty obvious what happened here but it does get weirder so police bought ira's alibi and it's because at the at the time like i said they really didn't have any evidence or any wherewithal to second guess him like they they i'm assuming they they didn't believe him outright because that would be dumb but they didn't really have anything to try and get him with. So I'm assuming they were like, okay, fine. And like, I can see why, you know, he was a college grad. He was active in his community. He, you know, was very 
for he was forefront you could at least say forefront in the environmental activism period he was like from what i can understand a stand-up dude and apparently he had even run for mayor at one point so he seems like a pretty likable guy like all things considered like maybe he's just i don't know what i don't know what the word i want to use for this is a brown noser is the word I'm going to go with, I think. Uh, he seems like he can brown nose his way into the right situations, and he seems kind of like a schmooze. Schmooze? Schmoozer? Schmoo- I'm just going to move on and pretend like I didn't do that, okay? <laughs> let's all just per- let's all just move on together as one collective group. Brown noser, the word I'm going to go with. Um, okay, sorry, I'm moving around a bunch again. My back, my old, frail 29, well, almost 29-year-old back is hurting in the closet floor. Okay, so they bought his alibi, said that. Um, he ran for mayor, said that too. So 18 months go by after uh, Holly disappears, and people in Ira's apartment complex start complaining about a smell. And you know where this is going to go. Nowhere good. So there was a smell coming from his apartment that was so foul and awful that the police were called. Uh Uh-oh. So on March 28th, 1978, police found Holly's decomposing corpse in a trunk in Einhorn's closet. Uh, And some people try to say that he repeatedly had sex with her body and kept the trunk next to his bed. But I don't, I don't know if I want to go that far. I don't know if I want to believe that. Um, But it, they did find his his body well not his body but his his possession of her body there we go so she she was in his closet that whole time which is just really disturbing right and how is he I mean I've never smelled a dead like a dead dead body I've been to a autopsy before but that was a freshly dead body and even those have definitely like when people say that death has a smell, it absolutely does. Death absolutely has a smell. I don't know how to describe what that smell is, but you smell it and you're like, that's what death smells like. So 18 months, he kept Holly's body in a closet in his own apartment. How do you ignore, like what, what mental state do you have to be in to ignore that smell for that long? I mean, I suppose maybe you get used to it, but I feel like, I feel like you can't get used to that, right? Because it just get, it just keep getting worse, right? Or my, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never killed anybody or kept their body in my closet for 18 months, so I really don't know how that works. But you'd think if the neighbors are complaining about how bad it smells, like, and the flies and the, 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 you know, the invertebrates that come out around that time, like, I just think... The logistics of doing that seem... I mean, I guess you don't want to get caught. I guess getting caught and going to jail for the rest of your life versus living with a with a corpse for a while, I mean, I guess that's a, that's a, a deal you have to make with yourself, I suppose. But, I mean, goodness gracious. I don't think... that. I think it takes a very special person to, like, live with decomposing bodies in their homestead in an apartment in Philadelphia. Wild. I don't know if I could do that. So, up until now, I feel like this story has been pretty straightforward, you know. Kind of creepy guy, dates a girl for five years, she goes missing, they find her body in his uh, closet, okay? Very straightforward, very predictable, if you will. But now is where I'm going to take everything I just told you and really flip this story on its head 
Here is the twist. So police find her body and they tell Ira, quote, it looks like we found Holly, end quote. To which Ira said, you found what you found, which is such a ballsy response. I mean, I guess you're not agreeing to it. You found what you found. Sure. Yeah, you found what you found. I'm just going to start saying that to people. You did what you did. You found what you found. Um, because really, that's the the most non-answer you could ever give. So Einhorn was arrested, um, but his bail was set at a much lower rate than, um, I guess, normal. I don't really know what normal bail would be. But so bail was set for him at $40,000, thanks to his attorney. And he only had to pay... 10% of his bail, which would have been about four grand. And so this is where it gets stranger. He didn't actually pay his own bail to get out. A socialite named Phyllis Lambert, who apparently, which I've never even heard of that name before, apparently she's a massive deal in Canada. She is 93 years old and she is a boss ass bitch and she is part of the Braun Fam family, which uh, are heirs to the to the whiskey fortune i do not know i don't know any of that um that's all just stuff i found on wikipedia so she paid his bail because she was very very rich and apparently she really liked ira and so she paid his four thousand dollar uh bail and apparently which i also didn't know he had a lot of high-end individuals in his pocket because he was a stand-up guy. I guess, you know, if you're going to run for the mayor of Philadelphia, and it might, it might not have been Philadelphia, it might have been a surrounding suburb, but if you're going to run for mayor in a massive city, it's not like the dog that got voted mayor in some weird small town or like the cat mayor. Like, this is like a big, a big area, and he ran for mayor? Like, I mean, I guess even if you didn't win, I mean... It's not like me saying, yeah, I ran for mayor. He's like, it's on Wikipedia, right? So he had to have run for mayor and had enough people behind him for like it to be an actual credible thing, right? Maybe I'm just speculating. So yeah, he's got a lot of high-end people in his pocket. And this lady, fucking Phyllis Amber, just paid $4,000 to get him out of jail. And that even, so I just sat here in my own silence for a second thinking about it, but if you think about that, that has to go and tell you how fucking likable this guy was as a person. Because, I mean, I guess if you're a, a billionaire or an heir to a whiskey fortune, I guess maybe $4,000, like, isn't that much money. But even if I had a million bajillion bazillion dollars, okay, and somebody I knew, like, it's not like he got a speeding ticket. It's not like he got pulled over for drunk driving. They found his ex-girlfriend's 18-month-old corpse in his closet. Right? I don't know about you, but I consider that some pretty damning evidence, right? (laughs) It's not like she was murdered and, like, maybe he was wrongly accused. Like, they found her body in your closet and somehow you got out on $4,000 bail, okay? So he must have been very likable because I, if somebody asked me for money and they found like a rotting corpse in their closet, I'd say, no, I don't care how little money it is. I'm not going to pay for that for you to get out of here because you know what? Now Phyllis Lambert is a part of this story when she didn't have to be. She could have lived her life, you know, 93 years old now living her life. She didn't have to be involved in this true crime story, but here she is because she gave four grand to somebody who they found a corpse in his closet. So, 
Phyllis, I hope you learned a lesson. Don't give money to sketchy people, even if it's only $4,000. Okay, so here's the deal. He's out living his life, living his best life, doing whatever he's doing. After they found his girlfriend's corpse in a closet, his closet, 1981 rolls around. Ira Einhorn's murder trial is literally about to start. I mean, like, days away. Days away, his murder trial is about to start. Ira skips bail and flees to Europe. Shocking, right? Could you imagine a man who has financial ties and friends and, you know, money? He's out living his life. Yeah, he's going to flee to Europe. He's not stupid. He's played the game his whole life. So why would you let, why would you let him out? Okay, so... To make it even crazier, Ira Einhorn goes to Europe, marries a woman named Annika Floden, and lives his life there for 17 years. 17 years he lives in, in Europe, just living his life in Europe, 17 years of his life. They found his ex-girlfriend in his closet, and he's living life in Europe for 17 years, okay? In his absence in 1996, he was convicted of Holly's murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, assuming he got caught. So, okay, so he's he's guilty. They find him guilty in 1996. He's nowhere to go. I'm assuming they know roughly where he's at, okay? He's convicted. He's a convicted killer. He's living, well, he should be living his life in prison. He is not caught yet. Okay, so... Now we go back to the wealthy whiskey family, okay, which during the whole time in Europe avoiding capture, they were paying his way. They, that whole family was paying for him to live in Europe in secrecy. So they didn't care if or how or whatever he killed his ex-girlfriend. They were giving him money. That's bananas. So in 1997, okay, he was arrested in Champagne-Mouton, France. France, which I don't know why I said it like that. He was, he had assumed a fake identity, obviously, and he went by Eugene Mallon, which Eugene, that's the name you pick, but I'm not here to judge you. So they had found him cool beans, but getting him back to Europe or to Europe, he's in Europe, but getting him back to the U S to be put in jail proved to be very difficult. So Ira did everything he could, obviously, to lengthen the process and avoided extradition for as long as possible. Such as, for instance, although Ira was never sentenced to death, his defense attorneys told France officials that he was going to be killed upon arrival to the United States, and apparently France has abolished the death penalty. I didn't know that, but France has abolished the death penalty and therefore won't extradite people to jurisdictions that will enforce the death penalty. So although the United States never said they were going to kill him upon arrival, like, first of all... I know some states would like to do that, Ohio not being one of them, but I can think of a couple states that would, <coughs> Texas, who would love to kill people upon arrival, which, I mean, I'm neither here nor there for any of that, but so, first of all, why would France ever believe that, that he was going to be killed upon arrival? It takes, like, the death penalty in the United States, people are still on death row for 20, 20s of years, tens of years they sit on death row. Like, the process... First of all, death penalty was never on the table to begin with. Life in prison was. Second of all, it doesn't work like that, but I guess you can't assume France would know that because I didn't know they abolished the death penalty. It's fine. 
tomato, tomato, life is whatever, but he tried to use it as a tactic. And obviously it didn't work because they went to Philadelphia and they were like, no, we're not going to kill him. We just want him back. Like, we, he murdered this girl, Holly. She has a name, Holly. He murdered his ex-girlfriend, Holly. We just want him back in the United States so we can punish him for murdering his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, to be specific. And so Einhorn's next strategy was to have the French law... To, um, so they have a European Court of Human Rights, which um, requires a new trial when the defendant was tried in absentia and unable to present his defense. Uh, so because of that, because he was tried in absentia and he wasn't able to defend himself in the United States, because he fleed the country on his own behalf, so... Yeah, they went and had your trial without you, you dumb fuck. You weren't there. So on that basis, the court appeals of Bordeaux rejected the extradition request. So, like, just the the pain and suffering. I went to get this fucker back in the country so he could sit in prison the way he was supposed to because he, if you have forgotten, which I don't know how you could, but if you've forgotten by now that he fucking murdered his ex-girlfriend and kept her body in a closet for 18 months, okay? Just to remind you, if you had somehow forgotten that by now, his extradition request was rejected because they were like, well, he wasn't there to defend himself. Did he need to be there to defend himself? Because I don't think so. Because I don't think anything more guilty than finding her in your closet and then you flee the fucking country for 17, 17 years. I'm going to say he's probably guilty, right? (laughs) I'm going to say he probably did it. So, so, okay. Once the request was rejected, and poor Philadelphia, the whole city of Philadelphia is like, just fucking bring him back. Like, just bring him back to us so we can put him in jail. Hasn't he lived enough time, like, out living his own life? Cool. So once the request was rejected, 35 members of Congress sent a letter to the French president to ask them to just fucking send Einhorn back to the United States. Which I'm presuming they didn't use those words, but I'm sure that's what they meant. Like, just fucking send him back, right? So... France is apparently a very odd, I almost said state, country, and the president had no right to give orders to courts and can't get involved in extradition affairs, which I did not know that. And because of all of that and all this fucking trouble everybody had to go through because of this prick who murdered his girlfriend and fled the country, might I remind you, uh, it's more or less said, so there's, there's a new bill in 1998 that gets passed because of Ira Einhorn and him getting him back to the United States. And you guessed it, it's called the Einhorn Law, which you can look it up. It more or less says that if you've been tried in absentia, you could have a new trial aligning with European laws. And Einhorn's defense lawyers tried to say that this was unconstitutional, but France was like, no, 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 we're not getting involved with what your country does. So basically the United States passed a law, well, a new bill, and I'm assuming it's a law now, that it aligns with Europe, Europe's laws so that we can get rid of this whole extradition bullshit that Ira Einhorn made everybody go through. So I love that France was like, hey, 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 no, like we're not, you're an American you're a U.S. citizen. We're not getting fucking involved with what's going on over there. You go back to your country. So more stuff happened. I'm going to save you the the legal jargon. 
uh, because it was boring to me, and I'm sure it'll be boring to you. It's not going to be any more fun if I say it on a podcast versus you reading it yourself. And more or less, Ira Einhorn was brought back to the good old U.S. of A. Fucking finally, right? So after all that, all that work and all that suffering, like I'm sure 18 plus years of just this fucking bullshit going on, you would be surprised to know that Ira Einhorn took the stand in his own defense at his new trial. Because as you do recall, we did promise him that he could have a new trial when he came back to the United States to align with Europe's laws. So the funny thing is, is he took his own defense, which I don't understand why you'd ever do that. It's a very Ted Bundy move. And I mean, we saw how that worked for him. But you know, Obviously, Ira Einhorn was a cocky son of a bitch who thought he couldn't be touched. And why you would... Uh, well, no, it gets weirder. So I'm just going to continue to read to you because it, it actually does get weirder. Um, I just think he was on another... He, Ira Einhorn was on another level that none of us will ever be a part of, right? So he took his own defense at his new trial. And he claimed that Holly Maddox... And I'm going to quote this... <laughs> I'm going to quote this directly because I don't think I could have said it better myself. He claimed that Holly Maddox was, quote, murdered by CIA agents who attempted to frame him due to his investigations into the Cold War and other government sciences. Okay, like, uh, I think you're better off not taking your own defense in that because I'm sure any lawyer would have told you never ever to do that and just accept the fact that you had 18 years of your life you know perusing around Europe and free and you married somebody and like you lived your life you lived your life and you finally got got and have to come back to the United States but like maybe he wanted to go to jail (laughs) maybe he's like I don't need a defense attorney like I'm just gonna fucking go to jail um Whatever. So the jury deliberated for two hours, which I'm surprised it took them that long. But two hours is like a maybe they played like a game of Scrabble back there or, you know, did a crossword puzzle, played a game of Hangman. I'm not sure. But they they uh, yeah, they deliberated for two hours and then convicted Ira Einhorn on October 17th. I don't know why. why, Wow. Stutter bug. Um, They convicted Ira Einhorn on October 17th, 2002. After an entire month-long trial, and um, he was sentenced, and literally the next day uh, was sentenced to mandatory life term with no possibility of parole. It just took fucking that long to get him there, and Ira Einhorn is still rotting away in prison where he belongs, and he today is 79 years old, you know, living his best life in prison. So that is that. That's the unicorn killer. And as you know, I realize that the unicorn killer seems like a weird name, but you know what? You have to be an individual and be uniquely stupid or uniquely cocky, I suppose, to pull this shit, right? So that is today's True Crime Tuesday. Um, I hope to have my Just the Cab video. So the intro video is already up. Um, which is weird, but, you know, it is what it is. So the first video that I plan on recording should be up shortly. Um, not today, obviously, but maybe... Well, I plan on filming it tomorrow, is what I'm saying. No promises. See, here's the deal. That's why I wanted to do it. I don't want to be on a schedule where I have to make promises that I can't keep. So sometime this week, a video will be up. So be on the lookout for that, if that suits your fancy. 
and uh yeah thank you for listening um i hope you enjoyed this as much as i did i had a lot of fun researching it and i had a lot of fun talking about it to you guys in my closet right now so with that happy true crime tuesday i will see you guys next week